Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I am going to go to the Word in just a moment. I want to thank everyone for joining us again. I'm excited about this morning. There's a tremendous peace in the house today, a tremendous peace. When I woke this morning and began to speak to God about ministering to you, it's a beautiful day outside. Spring is upon us. The times are moving forward. We're, we're hopefully seeing greater uh, uh, signs of things to come, better, better news that's going to come shortly. But I don't care about all that. It's not what I was dwelling on this morning as I began uh, to prepare for today. I was thinking about the Word of God and the power uh, that's within uh, the Word and what God has done to guide us through this process. So today, I reflect back. We're just about two weeks out of the Easter season, the Resurrection Sunday. And I was thinking about this in preparation, uh, preparing my message for you today. I'm gonna call it, What's in Your Chapter? What's in Your Chapter? We're about two weeks, as I said, after the Easter Resurrection Sunday. In about five weeks, if you were in, in Jerusalem right now, in the past, at that time, Jesus had just been crucified. He, of course, he, he was crucified on, on Passover Friday. And then he was risen again as after he was crucified, he was buried. He was risen again on that Sunday morning. Now, on that exact day, that time of his Passover, it was exactly 50 days, 50 days from a very critical, very important Jewish holiday that would take place primarily in Jerusalem. We call that the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. It's a special feast day. It's referred to as the Feast of Weeks. Uh, very critical and it's important why that pertains to today's message. And I'll get into it in just a moment. So if we were in that time right now and Jesus had just been risen, he had just been resurrected, we'd be approximately 49 or 48 days from that very special point. But right now in time, right now this time, we're about two weeks or about 14 days past that time. So we've got about five weeks in our calendar before that very special day. And so today I want to take you into something. I want to take you beyond that message now. Take you to where they were at that time. I want to take you into history at that time and get you into something that I think is very critically important that we understand about the universal nature of God, about what God really intended for his creation, for his people. You know God did not intend for mankind to take his word, to take his message and split it up into hundreds of different types of of religions and doctrines and faiths and all this different things. Those are man-made things. God intended for this one universal message to be delivered to all the world. And it began right then in that period between the time when he was resurrected and leading up to that very special day, 50 days after Passover, that day of Pentecost. But before we jump that far in, I want to take you to a place just a little while. Now, most, a lot of people don't understand, and that's okay. It's understandable if you're not really well-versed in the Word. Don't spend a lot of time in it. Some people don't understand that when Jesus was resurrected on Easter Sunday, he wasn't gone for good. As a matter of fact, the Word says, and you'll find out in just a moment, uh, that he spent a lot of time appearing to the different groups of disciples and apostles and, and ministering to them and giving them instruction. Uh, 
And so through the course of that time, there was a final period, a final ascension, when he finally said, okay, I've given you all my instruction, I've told you what to do, and now I'm going to go to be uh, with my Father, and I'm going to send my Spirit, I'm going to send the Comforter in my place, I'm going to replace myself here in the humanity that I robe myself in, and I'm going to replace myself in the form of the Spirit. Why? Because I can get everywhere around the world at one time in presence of my Spirit as opposed to this man, this flesh man that I created to wrap myself in, and I can minister through you, my apostles and my disciples. So let me take you into the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24. This broadcast is being sent out from Abundant Life Apostolic Church. We're going to talk about what it means to be apostolic, what that comes from. The term apostolic, meaning of the apostles, the message of the apostles. Now, there are a lot of different denominations that refer to themselves as apostolic, drawing their doctrine, their teaching directly from the word of God exclusively in the apostolic message. And this happens to be one of them. This is an apostolic church. We are Pentecostal apostolics, and it relates to that day of Pentecost that I'm going to talk to you about in just a moment. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 44, says, And he said unto them, These are the words, the words of Jesus. Now these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now, this is an appearance of Jesus just prior to his final ascension. This is the end of the book of Luke. It's one of the four biographical gospels of Jesus Christ. It's the end of the book of the gospel of Luke. This is a time that Jesus appears to him, speaking to the disciples, speaking to all of them. Now, Matthew has an account of this, and John has an account of this, and Mark has an account of this. This is Luke's account. I selected Luke's account for a couple of very specific reasons. Not all of the the biographies say all the exact same things. That's why all four Gospels appear in the Word. Each man had a different perspective, had a a particular style, had, had certain things, nuances that they saw, things that God had dealt with them as he inspired them to write the gospels he he influenced them in different ways according to who they were and so Luke I chose specifically for a couple of key points here but also because Luke is the author of the book that comes directly after the four gospel biographies and Luke writes the story of the beginning of the Christian church he writes the story of this massive explosion of power and unbelievable Miracles that are about to take place on the day of Pentecost because of what Jesus promises here. Now, I want to take you back a second again. And by the way, I'd like to make this, my intention is to make this about a three or four part series. I want to take you through the book of Acts. We talk about it all the time. We've referenced the book of Acts. It's literally the anchor to everything we do in ministry in in, in the apostolic movement because it is the beginning of the church. It is the source of the salvation message. It defines everything that we do moving forward. And so it's our anchor. It's where we draw our initial basis from in everything that we do. We include the entire Bible, don't get me wrong, but it's the foundation. It's the anchor to everything that we do. But 
Do we take that time? Do we dive into it? And I just felt the urge. I don't know how much longer I'm going to have this broadcast. I don't know how much longer people are going to be tuning in from all over the country. We have people from Alaska and California and Florida and the East Coast and so on. I don't know how much longer I'm going to have that. Maybe I'll just have our great congregation back here in a few weeks. God bless us if we can do that, right? Amen. But if I've got a captive audience, I'm going to take you through a historical and a profound study of the book of Acts that I think is going to be exciting and revealing and perhaps make a mark in your life. Now he says, notice again in that first verse in 44, he says that the things that must be fulfilled which were what written uh, in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now isn't that profound to understand Jesus is talking about himself. He's saying that in the law of Moses, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, the prophets, and and, and the Psalms spoke of him, told of him, told the story of him. Yes, the prophecy of Jesus is throughout the entire Old Testament. It was a precursor to his arrival, to his plan. You see, God didn't just wake up one day and say, man, the Israelites really messed up. The Old Testament's a disaster. I'm going to come up with a new plan. Let's bring, I'm going to wrap myself in flesh, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. I'm going to robe myself in flesh and just come down there and try to fix things myself. That's not what he did. Jesus was the plan from the beginning. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This was always part of the deal. 45, then opened he their understanding, there is the apostles, that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, he's talking about himself now, and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. It's pretty sound stuff. Repentance and remission of sins. See, sins have to be removed. There's a repentance. There's a a part that you play in, in, in going to God to take that away. And then there's a remission part that he takes care of. It's in the plan. We don't know exactly how that's all shaping up just yet, but that's what he taught the apostles. That's the apostolic message. That's what he gave them. And so he he said that's got to be preached to all nations. You know what that means? That means nations in the east. That means nations in the west. That means nations down under and nations over top, if there's anybody living way up there. That means uh, uh, nations where there are people of different colors, people of different cultures, different backgrounds, different natures. It says all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. 48 says, and ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, and then he tells them specifically, but tarry ye, go wait, tarry, hang out, in the city of Jerusalem, and ye be endued, excuse me, until ye be endued with the power from on high. Power, that word power, dunamis in the Greek, it references throughout scripture, the same word that's used there, dunamis, is used where the scripture uses the word miracles. It's used in places where it's, it's talking about uh, uh, holy things, it's talking about power, uh, supernatural ability. In verse 50, it says, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them, the disciples, and it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted out from them and carried up into heaven. 
And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually where? In the temple. They went back to Jerusalem in the temple, praising and blessing God. That was his final ascension. That was, he was gone. He had gone back. He said, I'm, I'm out and I'm going to send my spirit coming forward. Now from here, this is the end of the gospel of Luke. If you want to take the next step into the journey of the apostles, the next step is that fifth book after the four gospels, the book of Acts. It's literally called the Acts of the Apostles. If you open up your Bibles this morning, perhaps you turn to the book of Acts, you probably have some sort of a cover page or a banner or a headliner. Mine says the Acts of the Apostles. In other words, the book of Acts is what they did. It's a history of the beginning of the church. It's that account, and they followed Jesus' instructions to the letter in establishing his church, the Christian church. You see, there was no, there was no Christians prior to this point. Even the apostles and, 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 and those, the disciples that were following him, the people following him, they weren't really Christians. They were following, following Christ, but were they per se Christians? There was no Christian church. There was nobody even saved at this point. Because they needed to be saved by grace. They needed to be saved by the sacrifice that Jesus made. When he died on Calvary, that began the period of salvation. That began, grace opened up. But even for that 49 or 50 days, from that time until the time of Pentecost, nobody was saved. There was no Christian church. There was no Christian religion, period. There was just this guy who had followed, had all these people following him, preaching from God, and it was, it was God manifest in the flesh, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says again. And so, we go into the book of Acts. Now, I mentioned earlier that Acts is, is uh, uh, written by the Apostle Luke, who we just read from, from his own book. Now, before there was Constantine, there was the book of Acts. Before there was the papacy, there was the book of Acts. Before there was Luther or Calvin or Wesley, there was the book of Acts. There was what Jesus did on that day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 1 uh, through chapter 9, uh, excuse me, the book of Acts is broken into two main divisions. I just want to put this out there, a little foundation. I think it's good to know the depth and breadth of, of, of what, how powerful this document is, how important that this particular writing is. It's two main divisions. Uh, the, the first chapter through the ninth chapter in verse 43, Peter is the primary minister. He's the primary leader, the primary speaker. He's ministering primarily to the Jews and the center of all of this action is Jerusalem. Jesus just told him, go tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. In Acts chapter uh, 10 through Acts chapter 28 and 31, the final, the final verses, Paul is the primary leader. He's the minister to the Gentiles and they're primarily at the center of this. And Antioch in Greece is at the center of all of the activity. Acts covers 32 years of apostolic history as they established Christian churches throughout Middle Asia and Europe. 32 years of churches being established. What churches were being established there? Well, all those little books and letters that are written after the book of Acts. Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, Corinthians, and so on. Those are cities, those are places that the apostles and the disciples went. Primarily Paul, Silas, Barnabas, Timothy went out and established churches under this message. The one that we're going to read right now, the one that we're going to dive into, were established in the book of Acts. Where it all began. 
It's the only book of the Bible that is still being written today. Every church that has been established under Jesus' apostolic message was another chapter in the book of Acts. It's never stopped being written. This printed publication right here has 28 chapters, but there are literally thousands of chapters to the book of Acts. Why? Because there's literally thousands and thousands of churches and millions upon millions of people who've been affected by Jesus' apostolic message that appears in the book of Acts. It's still being written. That's why I ask us today, I ask myself today, what is in your chapter? What's in your chapter? What is it going to say about you if it's ever put down on paper? Have you partaken of it? Have you followed the instruction in it? Have you been doing something with it? Have you picked up that message? Have you become a disciple of Christ? Are you an apostle of Jesus Christ and started to write your own chapter? It's an exciting message. I figure that the book of Acts was written somewhere around 65 A.D. is when Luke finally penned it. They do believe, and, and, and everything points to the fact that it is biographical. He was there. He was present. And that while he was inspired of the Holy Ghost to write, as all of the writers were, he was an eyewitness of these activities. By every account of every uh, 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 study and every academic that has gone through these scriptures, they identify him as an eyewitness. Now, in Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read, let's go right to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read just a few verses here. Now, I'm going to move rather quickly because I want to cover some territory with you today. If I have to stop before we get where I want to, that's okay because we're going to be leading this message right up to the day of Pentecost. We're going to celebrate Pentecost Sunday here at Abundant Life Church. And it's going to be a celebration. All things pointing that we'll be allowed to re release and be in our homes and be back in our church. Brother, watch out. I invite everybody who's watching, you want to be here, you want to see this. Because we are going to have a Pentecost Sunday like they had in the book of Acts. I promise you that. Chapter 1, verse 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus. Now Luke is saying the former treatise have I made because he wrote another book. He wrote the book of, of Luke. And he talks to Theophilus. Now, there's a lot of controversy and some thought about what Theophilus is. Now, those two words together, Theo and Philus, actually mean God lover. It's possible that he's writing this to everybody who is a disciple or an apostle or a potential follower. Someone who says they love God. And, and so he reaches out. Now, there's also thought that this might be a particular uh, uh, noble person in Jerusalem, maybe somebody of account, somebody of some authority. But ultimately, I believe that what he's saying is, is brothers that love Jesus, brothers and sisters that love Jesus, I've got something to say to you. He says, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles, whom he had chosen. He gave them commandments. Commandments for what? How to dress? How, what kind of shoes to buy? Where to eat? What restaurant to hang out? No, commandments on what to preach to the people that needed the apostolic message. He commanded them what to do. We have to understand that their direction, what they did moving forward to establish the churches were commanded by Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, after Easter, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 
and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Remember, he said this, Luke wrote this in his part. Go to, to, to Jerusalem, tarry, wait for me, be patient. He says in verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. He promised them, you're going to sit there and you're going to wait at Jerusalem, but somewhere in there, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. What does it mean? Well, we've talked about that before. Baptized, literally, in the Greek, complete submergence, completely covered. What baptism came from is they used to, they used to pickle their vegetables in salt brine to, in order to preserve it. It was a desert, no refrigerators, no ice. And so they would baptize their vegetables in salt brine in crocks and, and, and hide it and bury it under the ground and save it. They, you will be baptized. You will literally be covered over with the Holy Ghost. Not many days hence. And when they therefore came together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Now look at verse 8. But ye shall receive power, dunamis, power, miraculous power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And again, in Scripture, where you read in Scripture places where it says the word miracle, the translation is dunamis. Where you see the place where it says mighty works, the translation is dunamis. You will receive this mighty miracle working power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem right where they are, Judea, that means the land of the Jews, the pure Jews, preaching to them, and Samaria, which is where they started to kind of intermingle, the Jews and the, and the Gentiles intermingling, and all to the other parts of the earth. That's where all the Gentiles are, the yucky people, us. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud and received him out of their sight. So he ascended. That's it. We'll see him again. He'll come again. Perhaps we'll be alive. Perhaps we'll see it. He's going to come again, but just not right now. Now, if you get to verse 13, skip on down to verse 13 uh, through 15. It says that they were in the upper room, uh, as Luke said, in the temple. In 24 and 53, he said they were in the temple. They're in an upper room, and all the disciples praying together. There's about 120 of them praying together and waiting. So let's go right over to Acts chapter 2 now. Now this is the one us apostolic Pentecostals, we love to dwell on, we love to be on Acts chapter 2. Why? Because in our opinion, in our response, and in our study and what we know, it is the most powerful, the most impacting, the most explosive chapter in all the scriptures of the Bible. Well, what about when Jesus was born? Yep, that was powerful, that was amazing, the most amazing thing that ever happened to planet earth, when God manifested himself in the flesh and was born of a virgin. Well, what about Easter Sunday when he was resurrected and his power was there and he appeared? Yes, absolutely powerful, incredible, the most important event to happen after his birth. But I'm here to tell you, folks, all that stands in second place compared to what happens in the second chapter of Acts when Jesus returns to his people as he promised in the form of the Holy Ghost. Let's go to uh, the first four verses here. It's the day of Pentecost. It's 50 days after Passover. It's a special Jewish feast day. Why did Jesus pick this particular day? This isn't in scripture. It's my opinion. 
but more Jews, more people were scheduled and due to be in Jerusalem praying and worshiping at the temple than any other time of the year. You're going to have more audience, more people are going to be exposed to this thing than ever before. You know that more people are being exposed to the message I'm teaching right now for Abundant Life's history through this broadcast process we had, thank you COVID-19, than we'd ever had in the history of this, of this church. God picked the day of Pentecost because it was more exposure. He was an ad guy, man. He understood the power of broadcast. Now, verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, uh, they were all with one accord in one place. We know where they were. They were in the temple, in the upper room. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all, not many, not some, not five, all were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Why does God pick tongues? We're going to talk about this in this series. We're going to talk about the process of receiving the Holy Ghost. Is it a warm, fuzzy feeling you get when you go come in your church and you pray and you sing a few songs? That's not receiving or the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's experiencing the presence of the Holy Ghost. That's good too. But these folks were filled with the Holy Ghost. We're going to talk about infilling of the Holy Ghost. We're going to talk about this crazy, wacky thing that some of these people do called speaking in tongues. Yes, it's strange. It's odd. It was for the old times. It's so different and weird. It cracks me up when people say stuff like that. You've heard me say this before. Turn on a radio station. Turn on a rap radio station one time. Tell me they're not speaking in tongues. Certainly not from God, but some kind of tongues. We live in a weird world. Strange stuff goes on all the time. We're surrounded by wacko things. They make television programs and, and all kinds of stuff about UFOs and space aliens and wacky things. And people do all these crazy things. And we celebrate life. And we say, oh, look at the diversity we have and all the wonderful things that people do. But watch out for those crazy tongue-talking Christians. Oh, my goodness. That's weird. We can't have that. I disagree. Because on the day of Pentecost, when Jesus Christ returned in the form of the Holy Ghost, he chose to infill those apostles with his spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. And as I said, we're going to talk about why tongues. We're going to talk about that pure communication between my spirit and him, something that my brain and my intellect can't defile. I can't get in the way of what's being said between my spirit that God put in me and the Holy Ghost. I can't defile that. God wants that pure communication. It takes sacrifice and humility and the willingness to say, okay, I'll be a fool before you, Jesus. I'll say babbling crazy words if that's what you inspire in my spirit. But I'm here to tell you, it's a real language. They're real words. What are they words of? You're going to find out here in just a minute. There was this explosion of power, as I said. They, there were people from all over uh, Middle Asia coming to, Ju to, 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 to the temple to praise and to worship for this special feast day. And they're all standing around and they're saying, what in the world's going on with these crazy people? I'm hearing languages of my own country. That wasn't supposed to happen. The apostles were Galileans. They had two languages that they know, the, the universal language of Greek, which the Roman Empire required everybody to know, and their own home language. There were Galileans. They were from just a really poor, yucky place in that area of the, of the world. Fishermen and things of the sort. And, and they weren't supposed to know all these other languages, but they did. Because th these people heard them. And what did they say? 
They're saying praises and worship and, and honoring God and blessing God. You can find it right there in scripture in the first chapter. And, and, and so, excuse me, in the second chapter. And so they're, they're hearing their languages, praising, worshiping, and honoring God. It's real. These are real words. But then Peter gets the opportunity to preach the first sermon, the first ever sermon of the new Christian church that was just born in this moment. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 15. Now the people that were surrounding them that didn't know what was going on and they were confused and they they saw all this nonsense going on and, and he accused them of being drunk. He says in 15, these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning on the Jewish calendar. Uh, but verse 16 says this, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel and it shall come to pass in the last days my goodness, could we be in the last days right now? I know there's a lot of people running around afraid, going, it's the end of time, it's the end of time. Revelation started. It could be, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. But it could be the last days. I believe to some degree we're in some element of the last days, personally. But it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now I can tell you right now, it is estimated by count and and, uh, by literal track that there is somewhere in the neighborhood of 750 million people on planet earth right now that's three quarters of one billion people on planet earth that are proclaiming this experience including this church and many other churches across the united states thousands of churches people who have received this powerful pentecost experience Verses 22 through 36, Peter preaches Jesus' story again. You men of Israel, hear these words, he says. As he says, he talks to them by wicked hands. You crucified Jesus, Lord and Savior. He was resurrected and now he's pouring out his spirit. They were pricked in their hearts, the Bible says. Now remember that phrase. They were pricked in their hearts. They had a guilty conscience. They suddenly became fearful because Peter just enlightened them to the fact that they killed the Savior. And they knew it somehow. They knew. They knew then. They knew when they were doing it. But they got caught up in the mob. See, they got caught up with the Jewish leadership and they got caught up in the mob. And the mob is a dirty, terrible thing. You get caught up in a mob, your people will do terrible things in a mob mentality. They lose reason. They lose thought. And, and animal instinct takes over. And these people got caught up in this mob that screamed, crucify him, crucify him. They, they had bloodlust. But they knew, they knew who he was. They knew in their heart of hearts who he was. And that's why they were pricked in their hearts. Guilty conscience. Men and brethren, what shall we do, they said. And what did Peter say in response to this question? Abundant life, y'all can go to sleep right now because y'all know what I'm about to say. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. What does it mean to repent? It means to spill out to God, not to a man, but spill out to God. Every ounce of every sin that you've ever committed that you can think of, just pour it out to God. Turn it away. Push it away from you. Turn 180 degrees away from the old person that you were. Give it over to God. Does that take hours? Is it, do you have to write down an account of all 90 years of your life? No. It can be as simple as a simple prayer. 
We can't possibly remember all that we've done wrong, but just simply acknowledging to God, giving it over to God. God, I, I'm repenting. I'm, everything that I've been has been wrong according to your word. I don't want to be that anymore. Right? I've seen people come to the altar and repent in a matter of moments. And when they did, we began to pray for them uh, to receive the spirit. And God fills them with the Holy Ghost just like that. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. You've heard, if you've been listening on these broadcasts, I've talked about it uh, uh, ad nauseum, about baptism, that process to take away the sin, the, 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 the plunging, again, the dip, the plunging, uh, completely submerged in that water, coming up, resurrected. We talked about that during the Easter season. Every one of you, in what? In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Remember, he told Luke that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in my name. My name. Hang on to that point as well. And for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves. Key point, save yourselves from this untoward generation. I can't do it for you. The, the pastor, the priest, the minister can't do it for you. You got to save yourselves. You have to take action. The Bible says in verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. They followed the commandment. Remember, Peter is preaching the words that were commanded to him. And Luke is taking account of that. Now, if Peter, let me ask you this now. Let's take a step back. If Peter was out of line, if somehow, somehow he just decided to create doctrine at this point. Remember, there's 120 disciples, apostles, people that followed Jesus for months and months. He had a ministry for three years. These people were with him. They heard his words. They heard his teaching. I ask you today, if Peter came up with some kind of doctrine, some kind of message that didn't belong in this moment of time, wouldn't somebody out of 119 other people stand up and say, wait a minute, that's not what Jesus said. Hold on a second, that's out of line. But I'm telling you today, all 120 of them were in complete agreement and understood and knew that what, what Peter was preaching were the very words and commands of Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. It says, in the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. If you pop down to verse 46, it says, it says, and they continuing daily with one accord where in the temple, forsaking not to assembling themselves. They were going to church and breaking bread from where? House to house. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were in unity, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. There it is the most explosive moments in the history of mankind, all of history, right there in Acts chapter two, Jesus returns in the firm of the spirit. He gives the message to the apostles. He returns and he fills them with his spirit. He provides salvation to a lost and dying world. As I said before, there was no papacy. There was no Martin Luther. There was no Calvin or Wesley or any other of those long church father leaders. There was the apostles there was the apostolic doctrine. That's it. The words of Jesus. In chapter 3, and I'm moving along pretty quickly here. In chapter 3, 
the miracles in the ministry begin of the apostles. Peter and John going into the temple at the gate beautiful. They're walking into the, into the temple. Here's a lame man sitting there. He had been lame from birth. All he was asking for was alms, nothing else. These guys were now full of this powerful Holy Ghost thing. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. We have power. We have ability. We're making it through this COVID thing with strength and courage and enthusiasm and ministry. Why? Because we're a people full of the Holy Ghost because we followed this formula. I'm t- telling you, it's what's bringing salvation, not just for the end of time and for the end of our lives, but for daily operation, happiness, contentment, fulfillment. God brings it through his Holy Ghost. These two are walking up to the gate, beautiful, this lame man standing there, alms, alms, give me money. That's all he wanted was money. They didn't have money. Silver and gold have I none, Peter said, but that which I have, I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The Bible says they took this man by either hand and they raised him up and his bones came back together and his legs straightened out and he jumped up and ran into the temple praising God as a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. Folks, I've seen these miracles. People in this room today have seen people walk, recover from things. I've seen people, depth of depression and problems in their lives, filled with the Holy Ghost, never experience it again. 16 years old, in, in just dire need of something, dying from, from, from depression and dealing with that in my own life. And a preacher prayed over me. I saw a vision in my head of this dark cloud lifting off of my body, raising up off of my shoulders 16 years old I never felt depression again the rest of my life that's the power of the Holy Ghost I've seen family members with x-rays the things in their bodies that didn't belong were going to be cancer things that needed to go away healed over a praying church that said no we know a greater God than what what we're seeing in this situation x-rays come back clean healings a galore in spirit, in body, in finances, in marriages, in relationships because of the power of the Holy Ghost. Peter preaches his second stinging message, a stinging rebuke similar to the first as you move on in, in that chapter uh, of chapter 3. Look at verse 16. Then he says in chapter 3, 16, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong. They were challenging him about what was going on because of that lame man. And they saw him. They, they saw the miracle. And that was Peter's response. Talking about Jesus. His name, through faith in his name, has made that man strong. Jesus' name healed him. Verse 19, he says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. He went right after him and said the same thing. You jump down to verse 22. For, now he says it again. Now listen here in verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you uh, of, of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Think about, he's talking about Jesus. Moses said to the fathers that a prophet was going to be raised up. I told you before, this Jesus thing, it was coming from the beginning. And he literally says to them, now this is Peter quoting back Moses and quoting back that scripture and says that every soul that will not hear this prophet will be destroyed. What words? What words of this prophet? The words that the apostles are delivering in this message. 
this apostolic movement. That's what he was talking about. If you go into chapter 4, we see the first signs of persecution. Friends, I'm telling you, it's promised in the word. Being a Christian, being upright, not willing to dive into the, to the depths of the ugliness of the world. It's going to bring criticism. It's going to bring persecution. We know in some cases it's happening already. People believe that the church is under persecution right now because they're not allowed to assemble. You can go to Walmart, you can go to the liquor store, you can go to the bingo hall, but you can't go to church. Okay, well, we'll see how that goes moving forward, but God's not going to have any of that. Is that real persecution? I'm not sure. I know of a pastor in Louisiana has been arrested twice because he refuses to disallow his church to congregate under their constitutional rights. Now, I know there could be some controversy on that, and I'm not presenting a position per se. What I am saying is we're, we're, this church is, is, is taking on the idea of civil obedience, and we are obeying that process right now. But we'll come to a point, if this church individually comes under persecution, that's going to be a different story. But God's going to be with us. The Sadducees, who are, are the Jewish leadership at that time, there's the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were angry that Jesus was being preached among the people. Uh, the number of believers at this point had grown to 5,000. They're getting a little worried. And, and they arrest Peter and the disciples, and Peter was called before the Sanhedrin. That's the, that's the, the, the governmental body of these, of these priests, these Sadducees. And they ask him, by what power and by what name have ye done this? And Peter, for a third time now, preaches the stinging rebuke of what the, did, of what the Jews did in crucifying Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 4, 12, and here's his response. My favorite scripture of the Bible, by the way. If you ever, if you ever want to, you're thinking of a gift idea and you want to have this engraved on something or, you know, put it on, whatever, this is, this is it. Acts chapter 4 and 12, I don't even have to look at my notes. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Period. End of story. Peter is under the threat of death. He could have said anything. And he proclaimed the truth. Not a truth. The truth. Salvation happens under the name of Jesus Christ. Period. Wonderful story. Wonderful uh, they wanted to do something to him right then and there. Uh, but the man that, they, that he healed at the gate was a clear refute. It was, I mean, it was a clear miracle. So they couldn't say he was lying. It couldn't say he was blaspheming. Everybody saw this guy, right? And they didn't want this Jesus message spread. So they decided to threaten him not to preach Jesus anymore. Peter's response was, do we listen to your God or, or to you or to God? We can only testify what we've seen and heard. Folks, if you want to hear some awesome stories about what the apostolic movement can do, what Pentecost really means. Come and listen to some testimonies from people in our congregation. Ask people, what has this life meant to you? Ask for their testimony. You'll hear miracle after miracle after miracle of things that God has done in their lives. Later, the disciples pray together for their protection against the threats of the priests and have a powerful move of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that it, it, the room was literally shaken where they were as they were praying and filled again with the Holy Ghost. And that happens, by the way, as you're praying, we're worshiping together again and again and again. We're filled and we're filled. God doesn't stop filling if you're willing. In chapter 5, Acts, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 14, it says this. Now we're in the fifth chapter. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. So beyond that 5,000, now we're getting into multitudes of people are being saved under this message. 
Verse 15, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, and at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And they were being healed just by Peter's shadow touching them. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. Many multitudes of the sick. So the Sadducees get together and they throw them in prison again. And the angel of the Lord lets them out and tells them to go and preach in the temple. Preach the word. Keep preaching it. Don't stop, in other words. Don't let prison stop you. Listen, folks. A lot of us are in different types of prisons in the course of our life. Some of you might be in a prison of your own right now, whatever it is, financial prison, maybe emotional problems, maybe depression, maybe, maybe a relational issue of some kind, whatever it may be, all of us at some time or another end up in some kind of a prison. And again and again, this model that was given to the apostles, every time they were thrown into a prison, what did they do? They sang and they worshiped and they lifted up God. They didn't care where they were. They were in a prison and every single time when they honored God first, he released them from prison and miraculous things happened verse 28 the Sadducees tell them didn't we tell you not to teach in Jesus name and behold what does he say you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine I made this challenge the other night I can't wait till we can say as a church body that we've filled our area with the doctrine of Jesus Christ now After this point, for the fourth time now, Peter, that powerful apostle that brought the original message, preaches that same stinging, rebuking message, finishing it off with, and you killed him. Essentially saying, he hits him with it again, talks about how they crucified Jesus. 5 and 33 says, when they heard that, they were cut to their heart and took counsel to slay him. Now remember earlier, the Bible, it said, it said they were pricked in their hearts, right? They were pricked. They felt that guilty conscience. And what did they do? They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And they talked about repentance and baptism and so forth. They were, they were feeling that guilty conscience. Not these cats. It says that they were cut to their heart. They were pricked just like the other folks. But these guys took counsel to kill the, deposit, the disciples. Excuse me. In verse 34 and 39, here's another amazing account. A Pharisee named Gamaliel warns the Jewish council not to mess with Jesus' uh, people because you might be fighting against God. A Pharisee of the Jewish council. God will even turn the heathen in our favor. In verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to preach and teach Jesus Christ. That's the end of verse, uh, chapter 5. In 6, the number of disciples continued to grow. A great number of the priests were obedient to the faith. Even the bad guys were being won over. The priests, the chief priests, were being won to Jesus Christ in chapter 6. In chapter 7, we we find out about Stephen, the the, the new apostle, the new disciple. He teaches the Jewish leadership a history lesson exposing the unbelief that Israel has always had and how they've always defied God. And in verse 51 of chapter 7, it says, he's preaching to them, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in the heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed, uh, showed before of the coming of the just one. Talking about Jesus. Of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. He hits them with that same stinging message that Peter's been preaching. You stiff-necked, meaning stubborn. You resist the Holy Ghost. 
You persecuted the prophets and the forefathers. He's laying it down on them. Look at the statement once again in 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Remember, the other two times, one group was pricked in the heart. Again, this group cut to the heart. And what did they do? Did they repent? No. They gnashed on their teeth. Excuse me, gnashed on them with their teeth, meaning they were angry. They, I hate you guys. Again, no repentance, no what shall we do, just anger and hatred. They take Stephen out and they kill him. He becomes the first martyr. His clothes are thrown out, thrown at the feet of a young man standing nearby. Who's that young man? A man named Saul. The first mention of the apostle who would become Paul and write the grand majority of the New Testament. And in chapter 8, we meet Saul of Tarsus, a man persecutor of the Christians uh, in full force. The disciples are scattered all over in fear. Verse 4, went everywhere preaching the word. They were scattered all over the place, but they were still preaching God's word. The apostle Philip goes to Samaria to preach Christ. In verse 5, he meets Simon the sorcerer. He's not a very good guy. He messed with a lot of people at that time and used his sorcery and magic to beguile them and steal their money. He sees Philip and the disciples praying evil spirits out of people, and the people receive him. In 8 and 12, Acts 8 and 12, it says, But when they believed, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, what did they do? They were baptized. Folks, I'm taking you through this step by step, chapter by chapter, to show you that this most neglected, most ignored, most obscured book of the Bible and most other denominations that I have personally encountered is the most important track of history, of the salvation message that we've got to get out to people. They have to understand. I can't tell you the countless number of people that I have talked to in this community, and all they know is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, they never, ever know the book of Acts. They've not heard of it before. Why is that? Because I believe that the enemy has blinded some teachers, has taken it away from societal teaching, from denominal teaching, to keep this message away from them. It is the most critical message that we have that we must get to the people. You must know the Acts story. And I'm closing with this information. Acts chapter 8 and 15, who, when they were come down, as I said, uh, 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 prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And in verse 16 says, for as yet, this is Acts chapter 8, 15 through 17. Uh, Verse 16 says, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, meaning the Holy Ghost. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. This is that same group Philip had been preaching to. They got the word. They got baptized in Jesus' name. And, and, and he came and he prayed for them that they would receive the Holy Ghost. Simon sees their power. That sorcerer sees their power and he offers to buy it. And, the, and, and they say, thy money perished with you. Money can't buy this. Wealth is irrelevant in God's world. Celebrity and fame and wealth have no bearing in God's world. Philip is called to go to the Ethiopian eunuch, traveling from from uh, Jerusalem, prays with him, reads him a part of the book of, of Isaiah. The, the Ethiopian has this book, doesn't understand it. He says, Who, who's the prophet that's being spoken of in this prophecy? And Philip tells him, it's, it, it's Jesus. He tells him the Jesus message. This is Acts 8, 32 and 38. He, he, he essentially preaches him uh, unto him Jesus, it says in verse 35. And the, and the eunuch on his own 
Somehow in what he was being preached, what Philip said to the eunuch, what he's being preached indicated that salvation message because the eunuch on his own says, hey, here's some water. What's stopping me from getting baptized? And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, thou mayest. And answered and said, I believe. The, the Ethiopian said, at that moment, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down. The Bible says, both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. I'll carry this further in our next stop. But we're at the first third of this message, just the first third of the message. And look at the power. Look at the message again and again and again. Every encounter, the same message, the same powerful explosion of the Holy Ghost. Folks, I'm telling you, this experience is for everyone. You saw the superlatives listed throughout the book of Acts. It says all. It says every. Acts 39 2 and 39, excuse me, says, and this promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This message is for you. You need the Acts chapter 2 message. It's the foundation. It's the beginning of the Christian church. If we're to call ourselves Christians truly, we need to dive in. We need to take part in ownership of the Acts chapter 2 message. Period. End of story. I'm going to carry this on into the next section. Uh, Perhaps next week I might skip. I don't know. But I'm going to continue the series. What is in your chapter? What is in your chapter? Let's stand together in the house this morning. I'm praying right now that the words that I just shared with you from the Word. And I want to tell you, I felt the Holy Ghost. I felt... God's anointing. I just, I felt so strongly about this message. And I'm praying together right now with everyone in the house that these words have traversed this electronic medium, that you've heard what the Bible says. You've heard what the apostles of Jesus Christ said. You heard the words of Jesus himself. And that seed is planting in your heart right now. Folks, I'm so desperate I'm so desperate as a minister of the gospel, so desperate as, an, as a pastor of a great congregation of people to see this type of thing happen in our community. I'm tired of seeing people hurting. I'm tired of depression and anger and drugs and alcohol and the horrible things that are tearing people apart in this world. Fear over this virus, political manipulation, people tearing one another apart because they have opposing political ideas when we're supposed to be living together in humanity and unity. I'm tired of seeing my brothers and sisters tore up primarily because they don't have an active relationship with God in their lives. And I'm praying today that these words are going out and are planting in hearts that want to reach out and say, I want more of this, Pastor. I want more. Tell me more. Where can I come to? Where can I pray with you? Where can I get uh, more study? Can I get a Bible study? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, right now, God. Lord, I've delivered the word as you've asked me to. I've preached it as you preached it to the apostles and the disciples surrounding you, God. I just want your word to go out into this community, to every soul that's heard it, 
for a blessing to them, for a saving of their souls, God. Help me to do your work, Jesus. Help me to do your will. I pray for every soul today that has heard these words. Jesus loves you. He loves his creation. He's not judging anybody right now. That's not why he's here. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, to turn him on the right road and on the right path. There is no judgment for you now. There's only grace, the grace that was delivered on the day of Pentecost. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God, plant those seeds today. If you want to lift up your hands right now, as we go to our altar call period, those of you at home want to stand, kneel, whatever it is that you feel that you want to do, I'm telling you, God is knocking on your door right now. He's speaking to your heart right now. There's somebody listening today that Jesus is listening. He hears what your cries are. He knows the pains that you feel in your heart, the fears that you deal with lying awake at night. And he can bring an answer. He can bring joy. He can bring encouragement. He can bring salvation if you just lift up your hands. God, forgive me today, Lord. Forgive me. Lord, I want to repent. I want to turn it all over to you, Jesus. I give it to you today, God. I repent of my sins, Lord. And I want to turn to you and become a Christian, a follower of you, Jesus. If you begin to lift up and continue to pray, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. God, fill me with your spirit. I want to be filled with that spirit today, God. If you begin to pray and earnestly pray, God, fill me. He'll hear your prayer. I know you may not understand it. You may not know how this works. It may seem crazy, different, odd, but I'm telling you, it's a powerful experience. Three quarters of a billion people on planet Earth are tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled, water-baptized Christians in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, lift them up today. God, fill them with your spirit today, I ask you, God. Receive it. Receive it right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.